so clever. That's it. Sorry. I, um, oh, mate. As everyone knows, I've got these puppies, and one of them is taken to uh, um, forgetting he's got a sandpit to dig in. And digging instead, digging the lawn. Yeah. Not not a great deal, but I can see it's the beginning of something. Anyway, I'm going to change tack. We, <clears throat> over the period of time we've been doing the Lawcast, we've been talking about contract relationships. And we've been talking about casual employees and, and when they are casual. And something came up recently where we had to explore the option of when a contractor is a contractor. And you and I were talking about how, uh, and, and, and for, for those who are watching, um, we know that we've got this kind of, we, we know we have a definition of a casual employee now, or a better definition of a casual employee. And we know it's about, um, for those who haven't been watching the Lawcast, uh, a casual employee is essentially an employee that is determined to be a casual employee at the beginning of the relationship. Yeah. And and it needs to be, you know, there, there are some keys here, and one of them, you know, is it needs to be reduced to writing and things like this. And it needs, mm. needs to be very, very formalised. Um, and this week, a decision came up about contractors and whether contractors are contractors or their employees and, and how yes. that relationship gets created. And uh, I think this feeds really, this feeds into this, this whole casual employment argument and how the high court um, made this determination. Now, I actually don't like it. Yeah. Well, I don't like it. I mean, yes, lawyers love a contract. We absolutely do. And we like putting everything into writing because we like to be, understand the, the contract, the, the relationship between the two parties. But I also think that employment is a, and, and the court agrees with me, that it's a living, breathing thing. Mm. And, and contractual relationships change over time. Uh, employment changes over time. So I don't like that we we set something in stone at the beginning of a relationship, which then might change in substance, but not in form. And we're stuck with this form, this this document that says you're a casual, but really in, in reality, you're something else. Mm. Um, and look, I know that the law has tried very hard to um, equalize that. I, I would have preferred a, a substance argument over the form argument, personally. Because mm. I'm, I mean, I, I am a contract lawyer, but we're not working with commercial relationships. We have parties who are not sophisticated. Uh, we have very little bargaining power between the parties and mm. how relationship is formed. So why not create more bargaining power throughout the relationship? You know, why not see how it all goes and see what it turns into as a as a relationship, as opposed to saying at the very beginning you're a you're a casual, therefore you're a casual. No matter my um, and I, I know he watches, so my uh, stepdad Dean, hello Dean, um, he was an employee for I think it was 10, 15 years as a casual, doing the same job every day, same hours every day and how is that not permanent employment it probably was um i mean 
so if, so just without yeah. without delving into that um so now we've got this question of contractor employee and there's, there, there's been criteria that has, the courts have put down about this and we we explored this very recently actually in our mm. in our own work you know the substance of the relationship is there an abn do you have control over your work mm. uh can you can you farm this work off to somebody else? Are you a true contractor where you can subcontract the work that you've got to somebody else? Uh, you know, is it your skill and expertise? Are you bringing your own computer? You know, it's or are you bringing your own tools of the trade, for instance? And there was a lot of criteria involved in this. Mm. And I believe that there are a fair amount of contractual relationships out there that just really aren't. Yeah. So in, in form, it says you're a contractor. But then it doesn't have all the the criteria like person does like for instance a person may not have an ABN and in this case that was the case mm. they don't even have, they don't even have an ABN yes they can't they don't have they're not they're not remitting GST they're not they're not doing all the things you expect a contractor to be doing and yet this decision came down and determined that they were a contractor well I think I mean I think it's going to be 2022's big talking point in employment, um, especially considering we've got a, a federal election coming on and it's it, it's becoming more and more of a problem. I think it's getting more and more in the crosshairs of both the courts as well as as the parliaments. But I think it raises two, two kind of points which the employment law area needs to really address. And we need to determine one way or another, which is, are we, you know, is an employment relationship, whether that be contractor versus employee or casual or et cetera, but is the relationship of the parties set in stone as at the point at uh, when mm. they agree? Or are we happy to have an evolving system? And do we really want contractors? Is, is, is kind of also a separate issue to that. And is the contracting system or the way it's allowed at the moment really achieving the goals um, which we set out for, because I certainly see there being a area where contractors make sense and it's mutually beneficial because there are benefits to being a contractor. I think they often get overlooked, um, which is you still actually have the ability to work elsewhere. You have yeah. the ability to advertise and grow your own goodwill, if you want to call it your own brand, which cool. you can't, neither of these you can do, really do as an employee. Um, you also have greater control over the the work that you're doing and the way it's done. There are a lot of be benefits to that. The problem yep. is where you have a situation where that person isn't getting um, those benefits and they're only getting the detriments. You know, they're not getting all the, the entitlements that they should be getting. Um, then it's really a lose-lose situation for them and it's really not achieving the outcomes that I think everyone is looking for. Um, when it comes yeah, to because you're essentially allowing a, a backdoor way of of making sure people don't get paid entitlements. But is that the crux of it though? Are we talking about avoiding employment relationship? Because this is the concept behind the ATOs mm. kind of. Because if you jump onto the ATO, there is a um, uh, a questionnaire essentially mm. that helps people determine whether they are an whether the the relationship is a contractual one or an employee one, um, for the purposes of the ATO, 
And for the from the ATO's perspective, we're talking about remitting tax, mm. essentially, um, picking up GST, uh, superannuation. So there's there's a bunch of things that the ATO are interested in um, because, you know, it, it's, it's essentially an income generation for the state and for the federal government, mm. which is nothing wrong with that. I'm not dissing tax. So is, is the contractual relationship designed to avoid all the employment stuff, which is sick pay, holiday pay, you know, all the kind of relationship matters that you don't want to, have to get into, mm. uh, unfair dismissals, general protection largely is you mm. get contracted out. You know, stuff like that. Is, is, is it for the avoidance of the employment relationship? Because I think when we think about contractors from an employment perspective, mm. it's about whether this person should be an employee or not. We, we, we use it in a negative sense instead of a positive sense, not should they be a contractor, Mm. But should the should this should the structure really be an employment structure, and why isn't it? I don't like it. I don't like it in the in the sense that we've got companies out there who hire co contractors for the purposes of avoiding minimum wage, for avoiding entitlements, mm. uh, and what it's doing is it's creating a workforce that is below the poverty line. And I really don't like that. I really don't like that. And and what's it? What is a little bit of a scarier? Mm. Fad, I don't know if it's a fad or a the way things are moving towards is in order to get around all this. Are they an independent contractor? Should they be an employee? Situation. Mm. The the workaround is to form a company and yeah, that's have that. Company. Have that employee form a company and be essentially an employer of their own company, and you're basically having a contractual relationship with two sophisticated entities, mm. and there is no relationship there. Yeah, and from all intents and purposes, it might look like there is that bargaining power, but there really isn't. Um, no, so it, it, it will say in the interview, are you prepared to to form a mm. company to get this job? And I don't like that. For a start, I don't like it because I think. That's not what companies are meant to be formed for. Secondly, I'm pretty sure that the people who are taking low-paid jobs, delivery drivers, cleaners, you know, things like that, don't have the sophistication to maintain a company structure. Um, and it's expensive to form a company. I know people say it's really cheap, but actually it's a lot more expensive than forming an independent contractor and having an ABN. And it's really, it's a lot more expensive to be an employee and just turn up to work every day and getting paid. I also think it, it's a slightly concerning that it's also quite a sectored issue. Um, and, you know, we're always thinking about, um, you know, ensuring kind of a level playing field in society. And I don't necessarily think this is helping because we're not seeing... I mean, I'm going to put a blanket statement around there, and this might not be, you know, it's quite generalised, but, you know, it's not happening to to accountants, you know, young accountants. It's not happening to, to young lawyers. It's not happening to skilled workers. It's it's really happening in the unskilled sectors of, of the workforce, which is only further, detri you know, causing detriment to that 
that sector and allowing essentially um, you know mismanagement of of, of workers um, and and it's, it's disproportionately treating the workforce in that way um, I mean if we think about uh, whether the you know na nature of the relationship should be set you know in in you know, essentially in writing um, at the very time they start the relationship versus this idea of a, of an ongoing, changing, evolving type relationship. I like the latter um, because I think it it achieves more of the general outcomes that you're looking for in the employment area. However, I do have some sympathy for um, potentially more uh, less sophisticated employee employers. Because what we would essentially be asking is for them to have a very clear understanding of when employment relationships, or in this case, it could be contractual relationships, change into the area of employment and essentially be able to get on the front foot and avoid yeah. it. And or one of the problems I can point, see. Yeah, or at some point have a light bulb moment. Oh, it's changed. Now let's deal with that. There isn't, there isn't that light yeah. bulb. It's pretty tough, and unfortunately for a lot of it, it happens after employment and and a retrospective look at at what had happened. Um, and for a lot of you know unsophisticated, potentially very small enterprises, it could be a quite a large claim for money. Um, and they might just not be able to afford it. And it's not because of any sort of misfiance or willful kind of, trying to escape entitlements or anything, but just ignorance. And I'm yeah. not, I'm always very careful about taking, you know, for our regimes to, to really hone down on ignorance. Just mistakes. Mistakes, actually, accidents. If we use this as a segue into the detriments for employers when they do make a mistake, I actually think it's unfair. Why can't employers make a mistake rectify it but not be penalized for it mm. so you're thinking more of the way the ato operates uh, yeah the ato will, will will essentially understand that there is a problem that got out of hand they even understand when a problem gets out of hand and you just make some bad decisions about how to fix it mm. um you know like like knee-jerk reactions into that sort of thing. What they don't like, of course, is the, the serial offender or the blatant guy who's just gone out of their way to never pay super and you know yeah. and just go bugger it. Who's phoenixed the company for four or five times? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But I really, I really don't like how there's this trend to want to punish an employer who has just literally made a mistake like an easy one would be you're paying under one award when you should pay under the other and it's two cents more an hour or something mm. and technically that's an underpayment it's a penalty according to the act and there are there are some serious ramifications of that to the to the hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. and in a, on a on your worst day you can have someone chase you for those penalties yeah and i just don't 
I don't. This idea of having a hammer and hammer and ants is kind of just keeping a very open uh, and light touch to enforcement. It's I've got a hammer and I want to concentrate on one ant and and. And, hope the rest so, and, and if you have a hammer, everything's a nail as well. Mm. It, I know that, look, I know that we've recently, when I say we, I mean we, we have had recent changes to the legislation to make underpayments, criminal actions and things like that. And I'm not necessarily against that, but I think we should be using more um, discretion and understanding as to why those underpayments have taken place, not just say, throw this person in jail or let's give them a massive penalty that will send them out of business and make them bankrupt. And the personal penalties as well. So not only are we making their business mm. bankrupt, we're making them personally bankrupt. So there is no hope for that person to, to recover probably ever, really, mm. um, depending on the age of that person and, and the the like they might lose a house, they almost certainly have damaged um, relationships inside their family if this is what happens. You know, I just, I, I wonder where the measurement is on this. So just, just as a segue into it, because you and I, we do work with individuals who have had, um, you know, the ombudsman, for instance, turn their lens on them and you know, whether, I mean, we're not the judge of whether it's right or wrong, because that's an ultimately a decision for the That's court. for a judge, yeah. Um, and we're not, the, we're not the decision makers as to what penalties should be, uh, you know, applied. But should there be a them and us when it comes to the ombudsman? Is the ombudsman designed to apply as much pressure as it absolutely possibly can in order to be doing their job properly? Or should there be... A better, a different approach like the ATO have, which they don't see their role as the executioner type mm. thing. They see their role as getting people back on to the right track, and is really making people bankrupt doing that. No, probably not. And you know, if we think about a wider society and wider public policy, you know, companies going out of business is, is bad for a lot of people. Um, it, it, you know, it doesn't take much. If you look around at some of the construction companies that have gone gone under recently, a lot of people miss out on this. One, the employees themselves, not only are they out of work, they probably are going to be out of money themselves. Um, all the all the creditors involved and the word creditor gets thrown around a lot and sometimes has a has this thing that's oh it's a bank or it's it's a you know insurance company it's, or it's, it's ATO. Often to lose that money. Often a lot of the creditors are also mum and dad companies who did work and didn't get the money up front um, for whatever reason and now they're in trouble financially and you know their person you know they might have personal assets involved in their companies and so by no fault of their own. Now, because uh, someone that they did business with is getting in trouble for something they did, now this particular person, you know, is worried that their house might get taken by the bank because of the potential for their company to go under and for a guarantee to be attached to that. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of wide-ranging effects on on when a company goes goes under, which isn't really in anyone's best interest. Yeah. But then, but then again, on the other hand, you also got to think, oh, you know. If you don't, if you don't take significant penalties against people, if you don't take action, then are you also creating 
a situation where you are also kind of rewarding you're a toothless poor behavior. You, you've got this kind of ability but you never um, and people people see it as a as a cost on the balance sheet and that's is, that's going to be on the, this, on the profit and loss this is what was going on with the ACCC recently wasn't it they weren't actually prosecuting um anyone or anything and it just yeah. became this farcical situation where you could be doing loads of bad things and the ACCC was just never never looking never doing anything about it so I think the happy medium is a very difficult balance I'm not suggesting that these government organizations are getting it wrong on purpose that they're you know I just don't I don't think that but I think I would like to see how I'd like to see more transparency maybe in how a decision is made not and mm. and why the decision is made for one person and not the other because the other thing we see uh, with the ombudsman over and over and over again is the choices between who they decide to prosecute and who they don't decide to prosecute mm. how how is that made um, and we have employers employees that come to us and say well I've called the ombudsman and they say that it's not worth them progressing but then we have other matters where we you know there's where it's kind of the same situation and it is worth progressing mm. so and it's because of the in generally it's because of the industry that they happen to fall in and it's not to say that the actions are any better or worse um from of the parties involved but they just they're not really yeah, in the I, focus area i'd be really interested in the transparency about how that decision is made and who is making that decision look i'm not i am certainly not suggesting that people out there should be underpaid uh, apps and, and employers should be getting away with it. I am a true believer. If you cannot afford to put, pay your employees, you shouldn't be in operation. Yeah, you can't uh, afford to pay them. You can't afford to have the employee. But I'm not talking about underpaying consistently on purpose. I'm talking about being and a really a really interesting one is all those awards that exclude all the other awards that you don't know about. Like mm. you could easily have a law firm out there that is that's got an admin assistant who pays under the clerks awards mm. where in fact they don't realize that they should be paying under the legal services awards especially when some you know awards get created all the time in fact i suspect this year uh we'll get a new award and it'll be about gig economy um things and sure you know the uber eats and and the, the ones that are directly we're involved watching, we're all watching they're all, they're all gonna know that the second that, that award becomes uh gets created but you, know, you can see a similar situation maybe not so much for that one because it's going to be quite specific but has just oh, this is i love this one this is for any anybody out there who's ever and i've segued out of something again anybody out there who's ever done uh fruit picking vegetable picking mm. and you know anywhere yeah. in the world knows yeah. how hard the work is how 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 thankless and if you're not good at it, how little money you actually earn. And now we've got this new new award that has a minimum wage for peace workers, whether they pick up 10 pieces of fruit or 500. Now there's this concept, of course, that if you pay them, and this, this, is, the, this is the argument that was presented. Um, and hand on my heart, people out there, I was never very good at fruit picking. I would be like, at one point I did, um, Plums, and uh, plums are trees. They're a tree thing. So yeah. you have these tiny little ladders. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was doing. I've done lots of different fruits, but the plum one comes mm. to mind. So I'm so bad at it. So one of the problems of plum picking is 
plum trees are, have little twiglets everywhere. And you get all these like tiny scratches all up and down your arm. And it's actually really horrible. <laughs> so I would pick, I don't know, 10 buckets a day. Whereas there'll be people out there who are picking 100. You know, mm. just, they were just so much better at it than me. And they were making money, whereas I was barely paying for my hostel and food. Yeah. Yeah. And you're thinking and, about the incentives that come with. Yeah. So I'm going to benefit, obviously, from rate. a minimum wage. I really am. And, but this poor chap is doing 10 times more than me. Um, well, there's a bonus system for that. Yeah. I mean, my take on it is I actually don't see anything different about picking fruit than any other real thing about work, right? Uh, yes, you need to incentivize people to to do better, but you also have the ability to govern performance. That's not going anywhere. And everyone has that ability as an employer to essentially make sure people are doing. If, if you need someone to pick 50 baskets and they're not, then there are ways and means of dealing with that. You just, you just fight me. No, Melanie, you're not coming back tomorrow. Else. You're too useless. Yep. <laughs> Um, and if you need to, um, you know, if you need to incentivize even greater performance above uh, what the normal requirement might be, bonus systems are perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, and uh, I mean, it also kind of begs the question, if we allow that type of regime, which is essentially, it's essentially a commission only, um, work why not do that for everything you know why not just you know maybe lawyers are the same you know maybe you can just you don't get paid anything and you just get a section of the amount of thing you bill i mean why not i mean if it's if it's good enough for the the fruit pickers why is it not good enough for everyone else i mean yeah kind of, those lawyers would start to death i can tell you that right now they're, i think there'd be an awful lot of lawyers getting up to some mischief and basically uh running off with clients and all sorts of, imagine trying to keep keep a hold of, but, of the but work imagine the, the overblown work and you know like it's 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 interesting isn't it when we use a fruit picking scenario because you you can count the number of buckets but yeah. you would have to go back and cost assess that person's work every time because they might be sending perfect you know superfluous emails out they might be doing extra research they don't have to do in order yep. to buff it up to get to make sure that they're getting and 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 this this is a very interesting question because of course we've got three duties and we've talked about these three duties before mm. you know, duty to the court duty to the profession duty to the client i don't see a duty to yourself there so, no there isn't there isn't so this kind of and, and this i mean happens. unless you take a broad view of you know if i do right by me then i'll be able to I'll be in the great mindset <laughs> to do right by everyone else <laughs> yes but but lawyers from time to time and we've had this are in a position where we have to essentially screw our own careers for the benefit of our clients yep. we have to do something that we know is not not bad, but just not good for our own careers because mm. of our duty to the cause. I mean, I don't know if we've spoken about specifically on on this particular one, but kind of one final story I think for our for our listeners uh, is this this particular case. And I and I might I'm remembering back to my uni days here. 
but it certainly comes to mind. I'm sure every lawyer has been taught this, but I might get some of the facts slightly wrong. But uh, the, the general thing is a lot of people good. writing and going, uh, you got that wrong, Chris. I'm gonna, it's a long time ago, but I'm remembering <laughs> off the top of my mind. Uh, it's about two lawyers, criminal lawyers, who um, had their client say to them that they had murdered someone and that they knew where the body was. And um, they, the, the client said to them, I'll take you to where the body is buried and, uh, and show you. Now, they, they did, and, and potentially that may have been a mistake. But, but putting that aside, going, you know, but, but anyway, they went. And it, the, the kind of matter proceeded, the guy got convicted of murder. And uh, there was some dispute as to whether he basically didn't tell anyone where the, the body was buried, despite these lawyers knowing. Now, the lawyers knew that they had a duty of confidentiality, which is which is quite strict, um, that they were owing to their client. Because the client had specifically said that he's not going to tell people, but they knew. And so it didn't they didn't they didn't mention anything and. It later came out that after finding the body, that these particular lawyers knew the whole time, and they were berated by the public. Really, really media storm. It, it was seen as an absolute outrage that they had just derogated their duty as almost an ethical thing, uh, and and almost assisted in the crimes themselves, which is dubious. But they they were. You know, the, the modern day witch hunt against these particular lawyers involved. I believe one, one of them was a partner or principal of the firm for which had carriage and firm went under. Um, I think he even had like some family problems that came after financial distress. Really, for all intents and purposes, ruined, ruined yeah, his career. All right. But from the public standpoint, you think they did the wrong thing. This was un, you know, immoral and ethical. But from a lawyer's standpoint, they are pretty much champions of upholding your duties because on a personal level, this could, there was never going to help them on a person, you know, for their personal careers. In fact, ended up really hurting them. Mm. Um, but their un with like wavering commitment to their duties mm. cannot be understated. I think, and then. Mm really should have been congratulated and it's, it's really um, disappointing that the wider public didn't understand the importance of client confidentiality. Privileges, I mean privilege, all clients want it but they don't want it for the other side. Mm, mm, they know, get really frustrated when when they when knew about it. Yeah when, when they know the other side has some information and they don't they don't have it you know yeah. it's it, it is it is a very interesting dynamic. Everybody wants it, but nobody wants the other side to have it. I think a lot of this comes from the fact that people never think that they'll be in a situation where they need their lawyer. And it's might not, I mean, mm. this was a murder situation and whatever, this is an extreme. But, mm. you know, the, the day will probably come where you need a lawyer and you're gonna want the confidence that they're not going to basically act on their own personal interests and disclose things and, and to your detriment. 
Um, because what ends up happening is no one's going to trust their lawyers. No one's going to say anything. So a case yeah. is going to be run where arguments going to be put forward and that's just simply not the case. You know, we're going to get wrong decisions and we might not even know that they're wrong because the only yeah. people involved just didn't tell anyone. Yeah, just not, ex not, not, uh, look, the amount of times that I've been running a case and running a matter and my client hasn't told me everything and eventually it comes out and I could have played a different, Come. made a different play and I could have got a different outcome that was better than the outcome that ended up happening because if I'd known at the beginning, I would have built a different strategy. Yeah, and, and they just didn't have the trust to, to just, disclose it to just, their lawyer. I cannot stress for those who are watching who are not lawyers enough how important it is to be brutally honest with your lawyer so yeah, they have never... all the information. We're not here to judge you. We don't actually care whether you are a good or bad person. Um, you know, we don't care whether you hated that other person or didn't hate that other person. We don't make these value judgments on on the situation. What we're trying to build is a strategy to get the best outcome for them. And yeah. if we don't have all the information, there is no way we can build the best strategy possible. And it happens. It happens, I don't know, half a dozen times a year where I could have got a better outcome for my client if I had known at the beginning the thing that was happening, all the information attached mm. to it. But look, there's no way we can explain to our clients that it's actually okay because our clients want us to like them. Yeah. And they think if they admit something that they did that wasn't so great, that we're not going to like them. And uh, my it's, value judgments don't sit like that. I don't. I have my own personal moral values, but my work ones don't don't align necessarily with my personal values. Well, I certainly find that, um, and and this is certainly a comfort to to a lot of clients out there and for people who are seeing their lawyers. We don't even really turn our mind to it. I certainly don't. Um, so I'm not even engaging in an assessment of like or dislike. It no. just, it just, you don't even turn your mind. It's not a, it's something that you do. No. Um, and I think most lawyers are the same. So uh, e even the ones who are, you know, haven't done anything wrong, maybe they've been, let's call them the blameless victim. I don't even turn my mind to whether I like them because it's just no. not relevant. It's actually not relevant. Look, I don't think, I don't think necessarily TV shows help. Advertisements don't help. You know, I'm on your side. We're working, you know, we're always on your side. If you engage us, we are on your side. There is, there is no, there's no other side to this. Boys love to win. So we're on, we're on yeah. this side. If, if you engage us, we're on your side. This is it. We, we are, we are do, acting in your best interest the moment you engage us. So I think, um, having this kind of concept where there are lawyers that might be on your side and lawyers that might not be on your side, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a farcical, it's a, you know, situation. The moment you engage a solicitor, they're acting in your best interest. Yep. Um, so that means all lawyers are on your side and no lawyers are depending on whether you engage. Hmm. And, you know, we've got this, the TV shows that show that, you know, that we have these, you know, conversations behind the scenes that talk about whether we want to screw this guy because we don't like them as a client. That's, that's not happening in real life. No, You're no. a client of ours. Our duty is to you. That's what we do. <laughs> it's as simple yeah, as that. I think the, the TV shows definitely uh, overplay what actually goes on behind closed doors. <laughs> basically nothing. 
overanalyze our our interest in these people's personal lives. No, who is, who, which lawyer has the time? You know, who, yeah, who has all, who's the time? We got we got billables to make. You know, like. Yeah. That's true. That's not to say we're not acting in the best interest. Absolute, you know, and doing the best we can for that client. But we're not we're not intricately thinking about them all the time. And if we were, we would be charging them. So why would we be doing that anyway? Yeah. Crazy. Well, I think uh, on that note, we will close off the law cast for today. We've kind of segued from a crazy Galar case Crackers. to to uh, to lawyers looking at uh you know a dead body and not dead disclosing it and our duties to to our clients yes well thank you chris again for uh no, coming on board and having a chat today we um we'll be back in two weeks time for now thank you for watching the lawcast and uh we'll catch you all again all right, see ya. Peace.